Hello, I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I'd like to welcome you to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host. Um, for those of you that are new to uh, the program, I typically will start by just giving a, a general overview of uh, what the purpose of this program is, kind of how it came to be. Um, the Soul of Business, uh, actually a journey to the Soul of Business, was the tagline on my last book, Compassionate Capitalism, which for many seemed almost like an oxymoron. Um, but compassion is rooted in the notion that everything is connected, and I cannot be compassionate with something I don't feel connected to. And the idea from a business perspective was that uh, business being the most pervasive force, literally, it is the most pervasive force on the planet. There's nothing that escapes the touch of business in some way, shape, or form. So in that sense, business is connected to everything which for me suggests that business has a, a responsibility, take, you know, literally to take responsibility for the whole. To, to, you know, the idea of conscious capitalism is about an increase in awareness about that actual connection. Compassion is the behavior that's associated with increased consciousness. If I'm behaving in a compassionate fashion, I am honoring the connection and I'm taking care of the whole. And in that sense, it uplifts the experience of living on the planet for everything that's involved you know, with, with businesses' activities, which is literally everything. Um, so the guests that I have on this show uh, are guests that uh, I think are fascinating and, uh, and have something to say about what I'm calling the journey to the soul of business, which is the journey to that, that place where everything is connected. How do we keep things connected? to stakeholders, not just to shareholders, but to all stakeholders. Um, employee engagement, emotional engagement uh, is the holy grail of just about every organization on the planet today. Um, how do we get people to be emotionally engaged in what we're doing? And all, all an organization is at the end of the day is a collection of individuals that are in relationship. And to the degree that these relationships are working well, organization's gonna have a pretty good shot at being successful. Um, and these relationships are not just the interpersonal. They're the relationships that we have with goals, with objectives, with work process, uh, with uh, our chairs, our desks, our terminals. Everything has a relational component to it. And if all of these varied relationships, as I said, are working fairly well, we've got a pretty good shot. Where things go off the rail, and when things go off the rail, and they go off the rail pretty frequently, um, it produces chronic stress. And chronic stress uh, can cause all kinds of unintended consequences. And that's where my guest today comes into play. Um, Dave Kenny uh, is the co-founder and the executive director of an organization called Emergo Recovery, uh, which is a private residential recovery and wellness center that's focused on brain-first approach and also specializing in actualized recovery. Um, yeah, I've known Dave from an organization that I'm a partner uh, or a partner participant in, um, the uh, C-Suite Networks uh, and uh, the Hero Club side of that. Uh, and he's dedicated his extensive career, and it is extensive, uh, to helping individuals reclaim their life after struggles with addiction, anxiety, depression, and other debilitating, uh, debilitating challenges, a lot of which in my experience and in my uh, humble opinion can be traced back to um, the unintended consequences of inappropriate stress, chronic stress in an organization. So um, 
that's kind of why I was intrigued to have Dave join us today. And we're going to have, I think, a really interesting conversation around what it means to reconnect uh, and also what's the consequence of being disconnected to this life-giving soul. And I say life, soul not in a religious sense, but soul in a life-affirming sense. You know, that, 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 that spark that brings life and creativity to what we do in, uh, in, in our lives uh, and in the world. So please welcome me in joining uh, and wel yeah, welcome me in, <laughs> how does that work? Please welcome me in welcoming. Please join, ah, here it is. Please join me in welcoming. I've got a little Tourette's going on here. Uh, Dave Kenny. <laughs> Dave, excuse me for bungling that, uh, but it's good to have you oh, on the Blaine, <laughs> it's amazing to be here. Um, your intro was powerful. Um, I knew we were going to have a lot of synergy and in, in, in admire your work in business and, move, and advancing the world and, and having a greater consciousness about uh, uh, understanding our businesses all have a consequence uh, in this world. So, uh, But your intro, you touched on a lot of stuff. Holy grails we're talking about. We're talking about chronic stress and, and mission statements. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to bring our two worlds together here today. Oh, same here. I mean, you know, when... Uh you know, this came across my transom that you, know, you wanted to uh, join me as, a, as an interview uh, guest. I was really excited about that because I am familiar with your work and uh, did a little bit of research on it. So it's, it's good to have you here. And well, um, go ahead. Yeah. Well, Blaine, I was, I was just going to jump in. I mean, right now we run a re private residential program, you know, helping people recover from everything that you can imagine, but it's really skewed more to the to the mental health, but on a bigger level, I'm 30 year educator. I'm in the midst of getting my PhD. I'm really motivated and I, and I can't wait to go to bed at night to get up in the morning. I'm really about human development, human potential and helping people maximize that. Uh, right now I have the honor to be able to work with people and, and helping them reset their lives. But also we've worked at a very high level with executives, um, a judge who's, who's been called to the bench to be, or so, sorry, a lawyer who's been called to the bench to become a judge. Uh, oil executives, you name it. So it, it really is at a larger level about human performance and human potential. Yeah, and, and that's exactly, I mean, I see you know, over your shoulder there, and for the radio listeners uh, or the audio listeners here, you don't see this, but actualized recovery, uh, it, it's, it's a brain-first approach. It's, uh, and I say brain-first in the sense that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things from brain science around neuroplasticity, around repatterning re some things. Um, and all of that stuff comes into play here. So um, I want to just start with a question that I ask every guest, uh, and then we'll just kind of riff from there. Um, a journey to the soul of business. When, when you hear the phrase, the soul of business, what does that evoke for you? Well, I think you actually touched on it in your intro too. the soul of business I'll start by saying what I don't believe it is, is a mission statement. Although I believe a mission statement is very important. Um, leadership is critical in a business. And so there's a lot of elements within a business that are really important. But the soul of the business is people. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't think of a business that isn't centered around how our people perform, uh, not, just, not just in a service business, but even internally. Um, our relationships inside and internally and the struggles there and the environment uh, that can be created. And one of the things in neuroscience is connections or your, your, your connections or social 
adaptation and working with people has a dramatic impact, not just on our happiness, but on our neurological function. So, so the Holy Grail, which you said earlier, I, I believe in, in the soul of a business is the soul of its people. Yeah. Well said, well said. Uh, you know, I, every consultant worth uh, his or her salt has got a pyramidic model that they work off of, and <laughs> I developed one a long time ago. Um, the base of that triangle, so to speak, I mean, vision, strategy, tactics are part of that, but uh, that's the top tier. Underneath that, and, and actually foundational base, is, is what I'm calling the soul or the spirit of the organization, and it's where aliveness is actually created uh, or tapped into. So when you're talking about um, the soul of the business being the people of the business, I think that's absolutely true. Is the business alive? And I know I've had the experience, and I think many of our listeners have had the experience of walking into an organization's office, and it's just buzzing. It's just, I mean, it feel, you can feel it in, in, in the air. And you've had the contrasted experience of walking into an organization, and it's kind of like, who died? Yeah. <laughs> and but but you, but you feel that you feel that too you feel that emptiness too absolutely and that, that imbues the product or the service with a certain energetic so, I mean it, it can't not so when it goes off the rails we get one extreme when it's working well we get the other extreme and you have the uh, I think great good fortune in one sense to work with and I say good fortune in, in a very specific way here to work with uh, folks that have had imp uh, have been impacted by both ends of that spectrum. Um, so I'd be interested, just, you know, we can work with the one that most people might be most familiar with in terms of a therapeutic approach, you know, chronic stress, you know, the debilitating impact of, you know, being disassociated with that soul of the business, that soul of my life. How does that show up and how do you approach getting people back on track? Yeah, stress is a massive thing, but first let's get back to let's 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 define so we have a common place to start from what stress is and and whether that's in the world of psychology, um, neuroscience, um, the commonality and, and and the root of the word stress goes back into deep into the Roman era even before that about engineering and engineering was the was the first place where we see the word stress come up. And engineering in, in short terms is about you build a bridge. How much weight can that bridge or stress can that bridge handle before it crumbles under the weight? And so, you, so they started to build aqueducts and things like that, that that could handle greater stress. And that's morphed into now into the human capacity. So how does, how does an engineering term end up in a human capacity? Sim, similar thing. How much can we handle... Um, how, how many um, the traumas can we handle and grief can we handle and disappointments at work and, and problems at home before emotionally the cracks start to show? And so that's from, from a human capital point of view, that's what stress is. How much can we take on? And that's what this whole thing about managing stress is really important. We have to do some things to unload that neurologically, physically, emotionally, so that we can continue to move forward. And if we don't, Stress is, stress is actually correlated with 90% of all disease states. Yes. So it's really important that we begin to address that in a real healthy manner. You're not going to avoid it, but what can we do about it? Right. You know, in one sense, stress is actually healthy. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, 
yeah, it's uh, it's a stimulant. So it lets me know that I'm alive. Yeah, <laughs> that would be one way to think about it. Um, but what I'm hearing you say is that it's the inordinate chronic stress uh, that begins to be debilitating. And that shows up a lot in many organizations, that, de- that debilitating chronic weight, uh, you know, around performance, around position, around, you know, pick your pick. Um, we, I think we could all agree, Blaine, that one of the areas, you know, sales teams are always under great stress because their performance is usually measured on a 30-day or period or a quarterly period and they've got numbers to make. And so, you know, that, uh, let's just t- talk about that for a minute, because that's a performance-related uh, business, and, and usually pay-wise, too. But life, you, you, are, you, are, you cannot uh, live life and avoid stress. So to complain about stress actually adds to it, um, and, you know, the law of attraction. Yeah. But when you, when you begin to focus on stress and complain about stress versus go, okay, I've had some stress. Here are the things I'm going to do. And there's some really simple things. I mean, movement is very important for the body and the brain. The brain loves oxygen. We all know, you know, it's good for our muscles and our whole body overall, but brain loves movement, loves oxygen. And I'm not talking about a marathon, but, you know, a good brisk walk will do a lot as well. Uh, Meditation. Uh, You know, we we offer Ziva meditation. It's uh, Emily's out of New York does a great job. Um, so there are some things neurologically we can do to release stress. Physically, we can do to release stress. Uh, sleep and sleep hygiene. Sleep is really important. Please turn your phones off and your technology off one to two hours before bed and create a, um, a routine pre-bed so you're going to bed about the same time. And it really is critical. Seven days a week, get up at the same time. You cannot catch up on sleep. It's a misnomer. On the weekend, I'm going to got to push myself too hard all week. Now I'm going to sleep in on the weekend and catch up. It, it doesn't work that way. So it's really important to reset a circadian rhythm around sleep hygiene. And that helps us handle greater stress in a more positive way. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the word routine. <clears throat> and, you know, there's an old aphorism that, you know, uh, practice makes perfect. Uh, actually, that is a fallacy. Practice makes habits. And most of us aren't aware of what we are continuously practicing day in and day out. Uh, it's it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And one of the things that you just referenced here, we have habits about how we uh, we have practices around our, our sleep uh, routines. And they're typically, in my experience, out of sight, out of mind. So what you just mentioned here is one of the things that you know, my wife and I have taken uh, to heart. Uh, you know, Ariana Huffington's a good good friend of mine, and you know her whole platform right now is organized around sleep yeah, and sleep hygiene. Um, so I, I I thank you for bringing that up. That's that's a, a pretty and, and it's a simple thing to do, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are people though that really struggle with it and. So part of it is you've got to understand what you're doing. What do you, it's a, a good sleep doesn't happen at night. It really doesn't. A good sleep is a result of what you've done the day before. And that's a really important thing. We always just look at, oh, my God, I didn't, I didn't sleep. And yet you're not calculating or taking into account uh, if you had coffees and Red Bulls at 3 and 4 or 5 in the afternoon, um, that's going to negatively impact your sleep. Are you eating meals after 7 p.m.? Um, and it's also important to get some data. I use an aura ring. We've looked everywhere. It's right here on my finger. 
an aura ring. You can order them online. They come from uh, Europe. It takes a little while to get them, but but it's to me, it's been the most accurate form of sleep data that I've been able to collect. And I've learned that if I eat a snack of any kind, you know, some berries before bed at nine o'clock, actually my heart rate doesn't calm down at night. It stays elevated. And the reason for that is my digestion's working. And so mm-hmm. I've got, well, wait a minute. I didn't know that. And so you can, this, this ring is an amazing thing. It tracks steps and all that, but it, but it gives you data to be able to adjust your sleep patterns to maximize sleep. Uh, and I know, uh, um, the, the Arian Huffington has put uh, sleep pods at work for, I think 20 minute naps in there and really understands though the benefit for the brain. And when you take care of your brain and when you make decisions to live a brain healthy lifestyle and leaders of companies and entrepreneurs, when you bring that into your business, the food that's in your uh, kitchen uh, or, the, or the vending machines, if you have real food or if you have processed food, it's going to help pe- your, your people. And you wanna, you wanna invest in your number one asset, Sleep is one of the things. Movement's another thing. Food is another thing. Water's another one. Yeah, I, I, I love, uh, particularly I like that last thing because every, you know, every office has got a vending machine <laughs> hiding out somewhere and it's filled with Snickers and it's filled with candy bars and it's filled with all kinds of sugar and, and highly processed. And again, I don't think it's major things that need to be done. It's, it's small little things such as, re, re, you know, stock the vending machine with, healthy food items that are close to the earth, that sort of thing. You know, people will need to train, you know, train their palates, train their taste buds. Uh, but I think the intent will begin to carry the day with that. And this is, I think, from a leadership perspective. You know, you mentioned people are our greatest asset. Um, you build great companies by building great people. And I, you know, great people are not sleepy. Great people are not malnourished. And we, you know, and I say malnourished, you know, people may be bulked up, but they are eating horribly. So the nutritional component, uh, component of our meals tends to be almost uh, starvation-based. Could you, could you imagine a, an entrepreneur or small business owner or maybe even a large uh, multinational even um, that invests in nutritionists and brings them in to help their team and create a plan uh, it, it'd be an amazing opportunity to help people move move forward in a day. Um, when you eat sugar, especially during the day at work, and you and you're you're starting to drag two three o'clock, and you go for that vending machine, you go for the sugar the sugar in the coffee, um, you're going to spike insulin. And in, when insulin rises, as sugar rises, insulin rises, but then you actually crash, and it and it's not a sustainable form of, form of energy. So to have good fats on board. Uh, great veggies and great veg and produce um, and clean meats. We are not what we eat. That's a, that's a misnomer. We are what we eat. No, you got to go a step further. We are what we eat eats. So if your raspberry is sprayed with a toxin, you're eating the toxin. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to, to go to whole good foods, nutrient dense foods and, and, and movement and play. Yeah. Uh, I worked with a, I worked with a small business owner about two hours north of where I am here near Toronto, and uh, they put in a racquetball court. And every Friday afternoon, they they stop for an hour hour and a half, and they have these wonderful um, um, uh, volleyball tournaments. So they get most of the people there. There's a connection. There's fun. There's movement. There's exercise. And now he's built a gym, so his people can come in before work, at lunch, or after work, and move. 
what a tremendous environment for those people. Oh, it is. I mean, we spend eight to 10 hours a day at work. And if, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a phrase that I, you know, we just uh, remodeled our home. We spent about two years remodeling it. And very specifically, um, we paid attention to something that's called ontological design. Yeah, designing the space so that it designs us in turn. You know, that's a reciprocity that kind of comes into play. And most office places are not ontologically designed with any kind of intent. I mean, there's a design component, but what's missing is an awareness that this design is actually feeding back on the folks that are actually living and working inside that office space. And if it's not conducive to productivity, to connection, to uh, aliveness, you know, you start to compromise in some very interesting ways. Um, so, you know, I, I love that. It's, it's, a, it's a great way to begin thinking about, as a leader, how can I begin to design my organizational infrastructure so that it's more conducive to having great people beginning to emerge? The physical environment has an impact on us. There's no doubt about that. It's undeniable, whether that's at work or at home. And, you again, you asked about... Um, employee engagement. Yeah. You know, if you want to hire employee engagement, um, it's it's incumbent upon its leadership to to look at the number one investment they have, human capital. Yep. It is not computers. And 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 as business leaders, we look to technology and invest in that, or or R and D, and we look to invest in that, and just assume our people should take care of themselves. And and I would contend that human performance. Uh, is the soul of the business, drives the business. Mm -hmm. Yes, we need leadership. Yes, we need consistency. Yes, we've got to uh, be careful of our hiring practices. But once you've invested in those people, um, part, I believe part of the problem in, in um, North America, our employees feel that they're replaceable. Right. Well, and, linguistically, I mean, you know, if you pay attention to this, you, know, I mean, you, you use the word here, our greatest asset. Assets are depreciated over time for tax purposes. Uh, the other side of this would be um, assets, you know, our people are our greatest resource. Resources are meant to be used in an organization. Idle resources are anathema to an organization. So not only am I going to be depreciated over time, but you, I can look forward to being used. So, and it's embedded in the language that we tend to pay, you know, that we tend to use. Uh, I, love, I love the way that you refer to you know, you know, the, our, our people, it's an investment. It's not a fixed cost. Our people are a fixed investment. And if I approach well, people from this perspective, my, my workforce, my labor force, my, you know, anybody that's in here, you know, interacting with me as an investment to my organization's well-being, that, that changes the nature of the game. Blaine, there's no doubt that the people need to perform and, and we yeah. need that regardless of, the business if you know if you're um, a delivery person or a broker or salesperson uh, a receptionist it has an impact a direct impact on the business and so performance is important but to demand performance and not invest in the person is a very difficult thing and when I feel that I'm on thin ice and I can be replaced at a moment's notice notice with somebody else and there's no real connection from the leadership to me and they're not investing in me, but then they want employee engagement and they wonder why they have uh, retention issues. Um, I, I would say stop, take a look internally, do an inventory, 
and let's look at the things that you can do for human capital, education and learning. Uh, people thrive in the, the, that environment and, and also it increases skill set. Uh, nutrition, we've talked about that. Movement, play. Yes, play and fun is an incredibly powerful, I'm talking about 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I, know another, I know another company that everybody, there are over 100 people, everybody goes for a walk once a day. And it's amazing because you see groups of three and four people and they're moving around and walking. Uh, support, support great nutrition. Uh, so there's, there are some things that can be done and invested in people. Man, can you imagine the power of a, of a company investing in a nutritionist um, an exercise person and helping the, the people there uh, thrive. And when people thrive, yes, a business will thrive. Yes, it will. And what's interesting about that is it doesn't have to be done from the top down. Wherever I'm at in an organization, if I'm a team leader, as an example, I can bring this conversation into my team. I don't have to have my boss's boss's boss give an okay to it. I mean, yeah, let's everybody take a break. Take 15 minutes right now. Take a walk. I mean, that every team leader has the power to do that. Every individual in an organization has the capacity to actually give up or give up, get up and you know, walk outside. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking of when I was in school, uh, particularly grade school. Uh, every hour, I, I think it was about every hour, there was a 15 minute recess. Yeah, something along that line where, yeah, and there was a, 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 probably it was an innate awareness, but kids' attention spans are fairly short. And in order to keep them engaged, they needed to go play. And then they can come back and they can learn again. They can be productive in that environment again. We don't have recesses at work. <laughs> and I think that's a shame. You know, Robert Fulton years ago wrote a, wrote a book, uh, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And, and, and I think that that still holds true today. Uh, take a recess and, and have a good healthy lunch and have mom pack something in the brown bag. It's, it's healthy for me. <laughs> That's good. The brain loves oxygen and movement. And when yeah. people, and this is, here's a self-management tool. When you hit a roadblock, you're writing something, you're studying something, you're, uh, you're crunching the numbers and you hit a roadblock, move your body for five minutes. Go find the stairwell, go up two flights and come down two flights. Go around the block, go down the hallway if weather is bad, but move your body. The five-minute break will actually make you more productive. So let's take an hour. Keep slugging through for 60 minutes or take a five, seven-minute break, and the 55 or 53 minutes, you'll be more productive. Yeah. So we think, oh, my God, we're being irresponsible, and yet at the end of that hour, you will, you will have accomplished more. What is the greatest single difficulty you find that people have in the workspace right now based on your experience with folks? Um, I believe that that's ownership. Uh, that people come from a place of blaming, complaining, or justifying. And a business really begins to hit its stride when everybody takes some ownership. There's a great book out, uh, Jocko, a former Navy SEAL called Extreme Ownership. It's a phenomenal yeah. business book. Yeah. Um, but really, it's, it is about owning your stuff um, and not excuses, but also then that comes back to the safety and security that they feel from the leadership. Mm -hmm. So part of that, out of fear, sometimes people won't own that because they, they, they need to keep their job. Yeah. And so when people, uh, 
feel in a, they're in a safe, protected environment and you got my back, I'm more apt to own things and then be able to create a solution. Great. You know, yeah, ownership, you know, there's, there's a, a synonym that comes into play here. I want you to be responsible for this. And responsibility has got an interesting, uh, again, I go into linguistics here. You know, most people learned about responsibility when they were pretty young, and usually it was organized around, well, I'm roughhousing with my brother or sister, and we knock a lamp over, and mom comes in and says, who's responsible for this? So there, there's almost this you know, equivalency link between responsibility and blame. And I've, I've noticed in many organizations that I consult in, when we talk, bring up the question of responsibility, people run to the woodpile. It's kind of like, not me. I'm not going to, because there's the association with blame. What you're talking about here, ownership, is completely different from that. And I think that's a point that really needs to be emphasized. Responsibility, uh, I'm able to respond. I'm, I'm response-able. Uh, and true responsibility comes with true ownership in, in, my, in my estimation here. When I'm truly owning something, I am responsible in terms of how I work. And what I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of riffing here. Um, there's a lot of freedom that comes with that. I mean, and it's a freedom from a stress reduction perspective. Uh, if I own it, I get to be. Well, even, even, a, even a teamwork too. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we all talk about we're going to work as a team and we're a big family. And then when stuff hits the fan, there's finger pointing. And, and, and oftentimes it comes from the leadership down. Why didn't they do this? And oh my God, well, stop. That's not ownership. So the ownership is immediately starts there going, what can I do to support this person? See, fundamentally, I, and here's how I got into this business, is I don't believe anybody, anybody wakes up and goes, I can't wait to fail. I can't <laughs> wait to show up at work and yeah. blow this up. And yet <coughs> stuff happens. So the, when you talk about ownership, it's got, that has to start at the top and go, okay, we had a problem. We had a bad quarter. We had this. And what can I do to support these people? What do I, what am I missing? And this is on me. Yep. And when we begin to come from that place, everybody steps into that. But the moment they go, Hey, wait a minute, you didn't do this. You dropped the ball. And there are times where people need to be held accountable, but there's a way to manage through that. Meet with people, talk with people, work with people, um, communicate, set boundaries though, set healthy boundaries and give clear expectations. But ultimately, we have to own our own actions. Yeah. You know, this interestingly, for me, comes back into the domain of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you know, co-creating coordinated movement is how I define that. And that's, you know, it's a relationship function. Um, one of the things, and when, what I hear you talking about, number one is, you know, as a leader, I need to be an exemplar, an example of what it is that I'd like to have my people emulating. And if I want them showing ownership, it starts with me. Uh, and the other part of that is you know, a question about how do people feel about themselves when they're in my presence? And that's an energetic. You know, do they feel blamed? Do they feel coerced? Do they feel empowered? Do they feel uplifted? Do they feel valued? I mean, and all of that comes from the leader. You know, it's kind of a bow-wake sort of a phenomena. You know, I mean, I enter the room and there's an energy that you know, gets into the room before I do. And people are, you know, they're grappling with that energy before they ever hear a word I'm saying. Well, I'll go back to the three things in, in, in you know, in psychology, there's a thing about an empowerment dynamic. 
or the dreaded drama triangle. One's a victim and one's a persecutor and one's a rescuer. But when I walk in as a, when I walk in and I'm blaming, I'm justifying or I'm complaining. I am, I am sitting in the seat of being a victim mm -hmm. and it's not my fault. Oh my God, I'm not empowered. And, and I actually, and we teach the opposite to that about being a creator or being empowered and owning our stuff. And that happens in business, that happens in life, that happens in relationships, it happens in families. But the moment I, I, a great example, you get pulled over by a police person, man or woman, you get pulled over, you get a ticket, you're speeding, and, and you go, oh my God, how could they do this? Oh, they, they that's not fair, they were hiding behind the tree. And the other way to do that is make sure that you get your hands safe on the steering wheel, light is on, windows down, and be respectful and own it. Yes, I know I was going too fast. I made that decision. That's on me. And let it go. I mean, it, it, first of all, it doesn't impact you as negatively. And you don't have that stress or that energy. I own my stuff. Well, take that example now and carry that into business. Yeah. To be able to own that and create solutions that you, that you yourself are empowered in, in creating a positive environment that you work in. That is huge, I think. Um, and, and again, I come back to the, the whole notion of actualization. I mean, I own, I own my life. Um, it's mine. Uh, stuff will happen. You know, shit happens out there. But my response to it is my choice. I've got volition. I've got agency around that. And, and that's a big deal, um, particularly in environments where I don't have or I don't feel as if I've got a lot of control over what's going on around me. I don't set the goals. I don't set the targets. Uh, those sorts of things, but I do have responsibility in terms of how I actually organize my response, yeah, my my engagement with those things, my relationship with them is what I'm paying attention to. Yeah, I think you have, I think you have 100 uh, percent accountability, even if even if sales targets and numbers and things um, come from a, from another level or another department. Uh, that's that's part of the business and that's part of the team and to accept that number one that's part of maybe your job if you're a salesperson somebody else has got to set some targets and it's way bigger than you maybe they maybe the targets have been raised because there's a bigger um, investment in R&D that you don't even aren't even aware of right. So the question now is what can I do about that what do I need to do and and there's the ownership right there yep that's beautiful that's beautiful your organization is called Emergo Right? Yeah. Emergo. It's a Latin word. Uh, it's the Latin root for the word to emerge, or uh, we, we say to rise above. And, and that's the human development part is to be able to rise above in business and life. Yeah. Where can people find out more information about what you're up to and uh, what, what kind of uh, resources uh, they may be able to avail themselves of? That's a uh, thanks for that, Wayne. Uh, Emergo Recovery. So it's E M. E-R-G-O, recovery.com. We, uh, yes, we help people with um, all sorts of pretty significant life-threatening issues, but also we do a lot of coaching and consulting uh, with executives and businesses. Um, and, and uh, you know, we live in this world of, of a brain-first solution. And it's not the brain only, but it is a brain-first solution. And we help people really just optimize and maximize their life. That's, I love that. Optimize and maximize life. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here. Yeah, this is. Well, it, it, it fits again, Blaine. You talk, you talk about going from possibilities to probabilities. Yep. And that's, that's very doable when you turn to your number one asset is your people. Your people. Absolutely. 
My guest today has been Dave Kenny at EmergoRecovery.com. Uh, you're based out of uh, Toronto. Or just outside of Toronto, correct. Just outside of Toronto, okay. Um, do give their website a look. Uh, you'll find some very useful stuff as well as interesting stuff. They've, they've got a, a good program going on there. Uh, Dave, I want to thank you uh, for being with me today. Um, this has been very enlightening. Uh, I, I love your expertise and the depth of your knowledge around this. So thank you for sharing it. Boy, and it's, it's a treat to, to connect with and be with uh, like-minded uh, leaders and influencers who are making an impact in the world. And um, I honor your work as well. And thank you for the opportunity to share some of the stuff we do and some of my passions with your audience. So thanks very much. It's an honor. Yeah, and I know there's a lot more that we didn't touch on <laughs> in a 30-minute time. I apologize for that. Um, maybe we'll get well, back to it a little bit later on another show. I'd, I'd love that. I'll leave you and your audience with one thing. Learn to love your brain. Have brain envy. Learn about the foods and the things that you can do to nourish your brain. There's a lot of resources out there right now because your brain drives behavior. It drives choice. It, it, uh, your, your brain function actually impacts uh, whether you're in debt, you have money, what kind of relationship you have, your sleep. The brain is involved in every decision we make. And so take, make an investment in that personally. Ah, I love that. I love that. This has been the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, you can find out more about me by going to my website at blainebartlett.com and or uh, my company website, uh, which I founded back in 1987. We do a lot of work in the field of compassionate capitalism. That website is avatar, A-V-A-T-A-R hyphen resources.com. Again, Blaine Bartlett, your host with The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett, and my guest today has been David Kenny. Thank you very much, and enjoy your journey to the soul of business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.